Hello and welcome to the next instalment of the English Futsal Pod. Today's topic will be kept secret until you hear the name of our special guest for today's episode. So bearing that in mind, we have, as always, Mr. Reliable, Mr. North, Stuart Cook. Morning, Wardy. Uh, welcome back. Uh, I know you missed uh, part of our episode three, but it's nice of you to join us today. Unfortunately so, but I look forward to listening in. And we've also got England, Ireland, Europe's most successful futsal player, appears between the lines more often than he has Chinese takeaways, Liam Pal Freeman. How are you doing, Liam? Wagwan! Apologies for the guests for having to listen to that. And, and me. I have to listen to it every time we do one. Yeah, I'm not bothered about you, Cookie. Yeah, I know that these days. So we've got the low end of the spectrum, but now moving towards the high end, the intellectual, England's most successful futsal participant, which is a clue to who he is. It's the one and only referee, Mark Burkett. Thank you for joining us, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good, James. How are you guys? All the better for seeing you this morning, mate, and looking forward to uh, asking all the questions that the community don't want us to ask and none of the questions they actually do. Good Absolutely. Work. No, no one ever fun. asks me. So thanks for asking me. I'm also good. So in case you haven't already worked it out uh, or heard the first time, today's episode will be covering all aspects refereeing. So Mark has very bravely stepped into the snake's den and he's going to be getting some tough questions, but hopefully we can make it uh, quite fun for everyone involved. And and yeah, as always, let us know once you've heard the episode, any questions, any thoughts, keen to get those, we, we read everything we see. So with that, we'll jump into the episode. Great. So Mark, just to kick us off, can you just tell us a little bit around why you are a failed football player and what brought you into futsal? <laughs> Football player, brilliant. Uh, I'm probably a failed football ref as well, to be honest. That's why I've come across the football. <laughs> easier, easier option. Uh, my gosh, right. It's my, well, I've been a referee since 1996, which gives a nice little angle in terms of actually how old I really am. I might look a lot younger, but I'm a lot older. Um, so I've been refereeing since then, pretty much. Um, as, a, as a starting point so I started as a kid but kind of followed a very similar pathway which some of the unfortunate young, young referees have in their first round of games you have a lot of stick uh, and I ended up getting a lot of stick on the game um, which I didn't particularly enjoy and then took a bit of a break out, out of the game came back about 18-19 to uh, referee what was indoor football um, on some student leagues at a leisure centre near to us um, and then started refereeing football going up the football ladder to um, the dizzy heights of level four so semi-professional football just just on the cusp of that um, but at the same time I was working up in Sheffield and Hallamshire as football development officer developing futsal from 2003-2004 um, and then started refereeing futsal alongside my 11-a-side game and then lucky enough to 2008 to kind of get a bit of a nod from the FA to put me on a FIFA list. And then we, we, we went from there. So I finished football refereeing, actively properly football refereeing in 2010. Um, I've done the odd game since, but then, yeah, followed the, followed the futsal pathway. So, but very similar to the players. Players start with football and then move across to futsal. I was the same. That's so interesting, the fact that you've said as soon as the FA gave you that sort of England call up, then you knocked football on the head. That is so crazy, that parallel that we have. 
Glory hunting well, just like the players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that. But no, I think the, the challenge you have, and you, you'll know being players playing in both pathways, is by the time you've gone out on a Saturday and gone travelled half the country for your game on a Saturday, playing or refereeing, doing that again on the Sunday, trying to have some kind of home life and then trying to have a work-life balance because, you know, we don't get paid a lot of money, then um, something has to give. And it was an opportunity in 2010 with a new new young baby. So to try to spend some time at home and Mrs. didn't quite say stay at home a little bit more, but <laughs> implied it a little bit. So And we get a bit better opportunity. What a better opportunity to do futsal than, than football. Warm, nice, <laughs> less grief. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm going to jump right into the key question, which is what, what would be your peak, would you say, from all this time doing the dirty work of refereeing? The peak? Yeah. Oof, crikey. Well, undoubtedly, I can only go back to 2012 and drop a big one in, really, in terms of refereeing the World Cup final in futsal. I'm the first English person to have done it, and we'll see what happens going forward. Um but yeah, that was that was absolutely the peak. Whether it was the highlight of my career in terms of game or the best game of my life, not too sure. But in terms of highlight, nobody can ever take that that honour away from me, to be honest. So yeah, it would have to be 2012. Yeah, Brazil, that's the Spain. obvious answer. Thought I'd have to take that one off really early. Um, <laughs> I mean, Cookie Liam, what, what are your thoughts when you sort of see Mark at that level, at that stage? Disbelief. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm only resting. Um, no, I, I think it's, I think, it, you know, even for Mark and obviously now we've got Pete and, and also Ollie, who's sort of recently been added to that FIFA list. I think it's, it, it does show that the progression that the sport can offer, not only as players, which we've obviously talked about already, but also as, as, as officials and, and hopefully further down the line, as we've talked about coach Ed improving for coaches and, and managers and team managers, whatever it might be to, to actually go and experience that level of competition. Because I don't know about you, Mark, personally, the, the reason I kind of found myself so engaged with futsal is that I found it a different kind of level of challenging. I don't know how you sort of relate that to refereeing, but it was the elite mentality of the opposition and the challenge that they provided me that I felt was above and beyond what I was going to get from football, which is very much a sort of the physical challenge. So it was always the additional challenge for me that kind of drove me to want to be at the top level of the international sort of scene. I think there's a couple of bits there, isn't there? I think actually uh, the the game dynamics for me far outweighs football, if if, if I'm honest. So I just enjoy the, the pace of the game e- e- domestically as well, because obviously that's what hooks you in, isn't it? And then we're lucky enough to have had the journey that we've had. But the pace of the game, you know, it's into it's five aside. There's a lot more happening. You can get bored very quickly um, and very lonely in football as a football referee. Um, and then, you know, somebody gives you an opportunity to travel to referee in top level games. But for me, it was, it, you're not going to turn it down, are you? And to have that kind of pathway or be able to create that pathway for somebody else now to follow is, is a huge honour. And I think sometimes we're a bit more, we're maybe quite humble in terms of what, and I say obviously with you as well, in terms of the players, that what they've achieved and then what I've achieved with refereeing to say, 
Crikey, we've got no pathway originally, and we've carved that for other people. I think that, I think that's really important, and I think think that challenge of professional futsal and being involved in it, playing or refereeing, um, is a huge uh, is a huge challenge, and, I, and it's really difficult. I've listened to some of your earlier pods in terms of actually how do you make that step up, and I don't think anybody domestically it's really difficult to explain to them how bigger step it is I I can only really kind of say it's like playing or refereeing in National League and then going to referee in the Premier League it's like that's what the National League is week in week out the Premier League is what I do four or five times a year and that is a huge physically mentally emotionally uh, massive challenge so it's interesting to hear that again that like I wasn't really I'd never thought about it before but it's such a clear parallel as well that like you say, we both had. I had no idea from a refereeing side as well. Think of the pace of the game. I at that you go, and this is no disrespect for any of the national teams, but the biggest game you'll get here at the moment, Bloomsbury Manchester, and yes, the the final was very was a challenging game domestically, but then a couple of weeks later, or a couple of weeks later, I can't which way around it was, but then I was in the semi final between Sporting and Anderlecht which is fully played professionals, played at 100 mile an hour. And the demands are just, it's, yeah. You, that was you a dirty game as well, yourself. wasn't it? It, was, it wasn't too bad because the scoreline ran away quite quickly. So, but even at that pace, it's just, yeah, it's, di- it's different gravy on the legs and the physical demands on it. Yeah. So that, so that kind of brings us to, to where, um, back to your kind of journey. So your journey from 2012 sort of to now is is around carving that pathway, right, for other referees? Yeah, and I, and I think for selfishly to maintain that high standard. So to be given that gift in 2012, and I was give, given a gift a bit earlier in the year to go to my first Euro and and referee the opening game. And, you know, only four years into your international journey, it's that's quite a daunting prospect in front of a full quite vocal house and, 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 and not not an easy game. And then to be catapulted in six months to where I ended up, it's to to try to find your balance is that that would be something that you earn ten years worth of service for and then you get that gift or that opportunity. So to have it so early, between twenty twelve and where we are now, what is best part twelve years is maintaining that high standard and that expectation because the pressure is on you in a different capacity so everybody's looking at you to lead and to to do everything and not just on the pitch abroad but then actually you're the only been the only light for a longer time at that top end to be able to be in the FA to say we've got to make some changes and we've got to invest in this so that's quite that's been difficult as well mate if I'm going to be honest I can imagine because I think, I mean, from the outside looking in, it's it's incredible that you managed to get at that higher level because obviously the refereeing forms part of the FA and to, to push you and give you the opportunity, it's great for us to see. I think from a FIFA perspective, you're as good as the permanent neutral referee they're ever going to get because England have never been anywhere near that level, right? So it's <laughs> they, they know they can bank on you if you're good, that you can do every final they've got. Um, but to, just about so, for quite a long so what, time as well to be fair yeah. <laughs> probably not in our lifetime no, so yeah can, can you dig any more into just kind of what, what that was like I know you said it's, it's been a tricky fight but kind of how, how you've sort of been that flagship and, and kind of 
what the FA has done, what what they could improve, and and obviously looking at England futsal through this, how, how that might change. Oh, that's a massive question, isn't it? That's a yeah, huge sorry. question. So we've got an no, hour. No, it's fine. It, it's <laughs> fine. Um, I think in terms of we all we all know that it doesn't get the funding that it needs. All right, so we we're working from a very simple and challenging base across across the line. So we've got to make best use of what we've got. If I if I'm to look at my journey in particular, I think that uh, without question the the skill set and the years I spent as a football referee, even to get into level four, which is a steady level, in all fairness. Um, and those refereeing skills I took from there shows the, the comprehensive refereeing pathway that there is within within football, um, and then that you can move across then to any discipline because it's very quick to be able to pick up. Maybe players, it might be slightly different because of the movement style, the way you receive a ball, and what you're expected to see in advance and stuff. But as a refereeing, as a referee, it can be fairly easy to to transition across. And um, so, but those skill sets are in place. Whereas the challenge that we've got at the moment with our referees um, is that some have come through football pathway, but still only on the first journey of their football pathway and, and coming across to, to futsal as well. Or we've got a handful of futsal specialists who, because of the, the length of our pathway, um, can move quite quickly through that pathway, but don't have necessarily all the core skills of refereeing that you pick up through the football pathway, if that makes sense. So um, you're battling with that at the moment. So hence the reason why you have inconsistencies with referee performances across across the leagues and across the competitions. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of in terms of for, for me that football background massively helped without a shadow of a doubt. Without that comprehensive. Uh, I say support, but that, that apprenticeship to be able the foundation, to move isn't it? And go in. Yeah, exactly. And then how, how to speak to, to people. Be accepted. So, do you think yeah. that um, in the, in the same way that obviously we hear a lot of people talking about trying to get players to come across from from a football background, whether it be high level or sort of that medium medium semi pro level, as in your role, um, do you think it's just as important for us to be trying to attract referees from? That, that similar level of football to try and come across and, 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 and enhance our pool of referees? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, and I think that in a couple of challenges that in the, in the, in the past, and there still is some challenges um, of making it attractive for them to come across. So w- there is a handful of referees that I've come across because they, they enjoy the game, they enjoy the idea of it, and maybe we create, we try to work hard on a different kind of culture within the referee, that top referee group that um, it's a little bit more social, not as kind of like uh, as strict demands as what FA core and that program is because of, because people come into us for a different reasoning. Um, The challenges that we've got, I think is that you take, if you take a current level four or level three football referee, they're going out to a ground that gets, Four, five hundred, maybe in some cases over a thousand people um, through the gate. Plus, they're getting well looked after. You know, they arrive at the ground. There is, it's fully structured. I know teas and coffees, but you and hospitality after the game. But you've got a proper package. So then, if we look and we're all well averse of what happens on a week to week 
national competitions that that doesn't get replicated. So if I'm to go to a level four, level three referee and go, right, come over to futsal, it might be 10, 20 quid less, a match fee, but also you're getting probably, well, 50% less hospitality, 50% less experience of refereeing experience. So collectively, I think we've got all got to do something better. It's not a problem for me to go to a group of fours and threes to start to ask the questions to come across. And we are doing that at the moment, but we've got to make it attractive for them to come across. And there's a whole lot of other factors that go into that. Well, that's what we've said about the players as well, though, yeah. isn't it? In that we, as, as the people who are committed to the sport, we have to make it attractive for them, players, referees, coaches, to want to actually come across and commit their time to, to the sport and help us grow the, the participation across all facets of the game. And like I say, it's really um, listening to the, your side of the the argument is ultimately it's the same ag- conversations we're having as players and coaches as to how do we attract people and it is to to just make it more appealing to them. Yeah, exactly. And I think like so we have camps through the year. So we have, we have pre-season and mid-season camp, and we have to structure them to make it fact that people want to because they don't get paid to attend, they don't get their mileage or anything else to attend. So it's in their own time. So we've got to make those weekends as attractive as and informative as possible. Plus our uh, monthly calls and, and any other CPD that we do, we've got to kind of really invest a lot of time and effort to to make sure that it's engaging for them to be able to keep them in the game. Because we know week by week, their experiences vary from venue to venue. And there isn't that kind of... In football, you've got probably an experience and a money drive Whereas in futsal, you haven't got you. We need to have an experience drive, and then the the, the money might come later or after that. So, so, do you get any referees who are using futsal to be better football referees? And <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's a question that I am actually asking internally. So um, now I'm actually working in the FA uh, within refereeing. We can ask the, can ask those questions to see actually how can it how can it benefit because. It, it's again it's the same principle as the players you work you're working in a smaller space there's more contact there's more decisions to be made in a shorter space of time so that naturally would uh, accelerate a referee's um, core skill ability whereas then when they move on to football everything slows down they've got more time to make a decision play advantage or read the game and all those kind of things so there is um, there is opportunities. We've just got to work out how we can link them across and get maybe we need a couple of good practice examples. And if we have two or three referees come through the system and then go into football, then then great. We've had it in the past. We've had Tom Bramall. He's now Premier League referee. He was with Futsal for three or four years. James Bell as well was, was, in, was in a similar boat. So we've had a few people that have come in and then moved across. I'd like to think that Futsal's contributed to their development. It's obviously played some part of it at some point because they've enjoyed the game, but how do we formalise that a little bit more? I had James Bell in both Futsal and football. Um, I can confirm that he was as bad at both as... Yeah, just throwing that out there. Uh, Tom, was, Tom was great. I remember Tom. Oh, yeah, you Tom can say you got sent yeah. off by James. Yeah, James sent me off in the grand finals <laughs> for a tackle that ba- barely made any contact. And was that against yeah, and then I had him six months later in a football game. Um, to be fair, he gave us a penalty and I scored that one. So I'll, I'll let him off. But he just, he, yeah, across the board, he was, uh, he let, left a sour taste in my, my mind anyway. 
Yeah, no, Tom was great. Sheffield, Sheffield lads, so I had them all the time uh, when I was coming through. What do you um What do you think is the biggest difference then, um, refereeing internationally and domestically uh, in terms of your on court? And I think probably the biggest one from our point of view is more recently it feels like the physicality that we've been used to at international level has kind of been taken away a little bit from the domestic league and that uh, there's a lot of very nitty sort of minor fouls given for contact um, and that only then changes when we get up to the four or five foul mark um, for obvious reasons but again when we we've had previous conversations about that consistency but I suppose what's the difference between international and, and domestic so I, I and you'll, you'll know there's a difference in international I can I can tell you from prelim to main round to to the elite round so um in terms of the elite round games that I officiate on is that they'll play and they just want to play and they don't want a bit bobbing game. They are quite happy to have a little bit of holding, quite happy to have a little bit of contact, but also the players that you're dealing with are of, are of a higher quality. They're not going in to smash players. They, they, their technical ability is, is, is at top end. So, refereeing that slightly becomes easier because it's very clear what a foul is and what their, their tactic is to, to play it and how physical they're going to play the game. When we come back down to domestic levels, um, it's a little bit more difficult So uh, because the players want everything. They want everything explaining to them most of, most of the time. And you just haven't got time to do that. You, you get the, Take the decision. Let's crack on. Let's move on. Let's get the game flowing. Whereas here, I do think that the, there seems to be a want of a lot of explanation uh, rather than just getting on and, and, and playing the game. The contact here is very different because I, I feel the, the contact here is very heavy because players are maybe a little bit looser in their challenges because they come from football generally and have that and football And they're chasing mentality. their touch as well. Yes, yeah. So, you know... The control element is very different, very, very, very different. And I think that's a difficult balance for us. Like you'll know when, because obviously you've refereed you, I'll still allow the game to flow because I'll get to about a place where I'll know where I want to keep the fouls and want to keep the contact and what that I'm happy with. Um, whereas others, because they're because of where they are in their refereeing journey, will see the game differently because they've only been exposed to it domestically and are still trying to get the balance of, okay, how far can I let the game go whilst I've still got control or how much do I, how tight do I need to keep the game because I have a fear of maybe losing control of the game. So you maybe have a braver referee in myself and Nursey, for example, that can take more risk in a game because we're more experienced. And I think that's the difficult balance that we have. Never heard to Mr. Nurse say, referred to as that before. You've just opened Peter up to a, a barrage of a lot of <laughs> players calling him Nursey now. So, yeah, apologies, Peter. Yeah. I was going to say, so do you think then, like, be braver, obviously because you've got more experience, but then you're saying, like, so some of like, the newer referees are facing decisions off of their football background as opposed to, because they're obviously quite new to futsal. I, I think so. And I think that's where you get the contact. So I think you'll get them... And maybe that inconsistency, because what they'll yeah. have seen on the grass, they'll probably see the tackle go in and go, you know what, but that's all right tackle. But then we're trying to say, actually, in futsal, that's not an all right tackle. So then we're coming back down to 
having it's kind of the referees having to teach the players where the level is and what mm-hmm. is allowed or what can be allowed and what can't be allowed. And then you've got that constant battle then between between everybody, isn't there? Because yeah, in one week a referee's on their early journey and they allow everything to happen. The next week you've got somebody else that's a bit higher up on their journey and can understand it a little bit better and allow a little bit more content. You know? mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of the inconsistencies come from within the pathway. But that's the idea of a pathway, isn't it? Same with a player moving up. You'll get a youth player coming from the kids' sections into your seniors and they won't be able to manage certain scenarios that you set up at elite level. Yeah, that's a really good point, right? And that's something I learned the more I got older as a player is you have to actually read what kind of fouls the referee is giving today because it does change day to day. And uh, is is that... I mean, why is that? <laughs> why could, why can't we just have uh, you know one? This is a foul, black and white. Uh, because it's subjective. All right, we have a different angle of of view on all of the decisions. Uh, we'll have a different take. We're all different human beings, so we all see the game and interpret the game very differently. So myself and Peter will have uh, a different view of how we want to see a game played naturally because. But that that that's where we're at. I would like to keep the game flowing, keep things moving. Don't want to engage massively, massive loads of conversations, over explaining myself. Just want to see it that let's just go because that's what the game's about. It's about playing. Um we will we we take up we can take up good positioning, bad positioning to make the wrong or right decisions. So all those are, are, are chucked into the mix. And that's and that's why and you get that, you get that in football, don't you? In any to be fair, in any sport and any referee. There's the area of subjectivity over what is a fair tackle, what then becomes yellow, what then becomes red. The idea is we can get some kind of reasonable consistency between what becomes reckless and what becomes excessive force, etc. And is that sort of what is it's referring to when it talks about refereeing in the spirit of the game? Yeah. So we'll have uh, all the laws of the game. Or our guide, all right, of which the game needs to be played to. There is people within the community, there's people within football that think that a game should be refereed as per the laws of the game. Now, and the the guide that so the laws are the guide of which we can then work around to be able to manage a game to its successful outcome. So yes, a, a reckless tackle is a reckless tackle. Yes, uh, violent conduct is violent conduct. But there is elements of the game where we can allow some flex to be able to play to to be able to keep some positive game management. Yeah, we'll be um, we'll have got a nice interesting quiz on the 176 pages of the laws of the game coming up later on. So stay tuned for which which I will edit out before it goes out to the <laughs> listeners because nobody wants to hear that. Um, no, one of the ones one of the ones for me um, is I think um, on court the game's evolving slightly. So we've had discussions about potentially the level dropping uh, in terms of individuals because we've lost the England team and everything else. But actually we've talked about the organisation and sort of the the commitment to coaches and styles of play for the game to now be a little bit more aggressive out of possession, a lot more pressing, you know, the intensity is up a little bit, sometimes pointlessly, but that's, I'm sure at some point that will level out and people will understand what good and bad pressure looks like. Um, do you think that plays a factor in not only to new referees who are new to the sport, who potentially have come from that football background where, like you said before, you can potentially get a little bit bored because it can be a slow, monotonous game, but also to some of the older referees 
who have kind of been at that mid-level and have done maybe 10 years where actually for seven to eight to nine of those years, the game's been half court and very samesy. So it's, it's been this, every game has been very similar where one team drops off, the other team has possession. There's no high pressing, you know, until maybe the last few minutes of the game where actually then as a referee, you kind of just get into the final whistle, aren't you? Whereas now what we're seeing, or I think we're seeing, is more teams from the first whistle going, right, we're going to press, we're going to be really aggressive, we want to have that little bit of physical contact, and you're right, I think sometimes it gets out of control and some teams don't quite understand it, but I think that's why we're, I personally feel that's why we're seeing the foul count run to four, four or five within the first five to ten minutes of it, almost every game that I've been involved in this season um, but then for the next 10 minutes, the referees are almost panicking for the next 10 minutes to try and get through to that halftime whistle. Do you think their experience and their sort of pathway to, to that game or to this point now within the English game has played a part? Uh, yeah, undoubtedly, because what is in front of you, well, you can only referee what's in front of you. All right. So if you're refereeing a slow paced game, then you're, you are not going to run as much. You're not going to be as engaged as much generally because there's, lower patterns of play uh, whereas if the game's intense you're in you're, you, and you're in for 40 minutes I think that's something we take from my experience abroad that go abroad and for 40 minutes I'm working really really hard at a very high level physically up and down and mentally focusing on what's going on because there is so much more going on um, and then you drop back down and the pace is slower and like you seem to yeah okay you've got too many things you can think about so the pace of the game absolutely is is key i think in terms of their their prep they should be ready for those experiences like we give them enough information to understand about pressing understand team general formations the way players play um to have that warning signs about how they're going to manage them so it's just a matter of them switching the button if, if we can get more games played at a higher tempo, I think that um, I, I think generally we might get referees solidly for 40 minutes, fo- real focusing. I'm not saying they mind wonders, but you, to me, it's the same with a player. If you're, if you're not playing at high intensity, you're not going at it, like, you're off the ball, aren't you? You, you? you start to work out you're playing at 50, 60, 70%, not 80, 90, 100. So, and it's the same with the the guys and the girls off the court as well. So we've got to read the game, read what's going on. I think in terms of going back to your foul situation, a couple of things at play there. I think you've maybe got referees that want to assert some early authority in terms of their game management um, and then relax off it. Whether we can, and we can have a big debate about whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. Um, I will approach again to be more balanced to say, actually, we will have a slow flow and we'll pick out the big decisions to make help the teams a little bit. But if somebody wants to go and whistle three or four quick fouls and it brings the game level down under their control, we can't complain too much that the game, they, they've got good game. The, if the game is then well managed, they've nipped it in the bud early doors because they may be experienced with some of the players, some of the teams that are over physical. So that's maybe where you get that. Your borderline fifth foul, which is a huge debate, that and people think the referees will stop giving fouls at six, seven, etc. I find it really hard to believe across the board that that's that that's that's the thought process. 
it will obviously be a coach's and a player's thought process because you're on five fouls and you want the six and you want the seven, but you've got to reflect on what's been given on those other five. So if the level is the same, there can be no complaints. So if, if they've taken big hard tackles and whistled them, then you know that that's what's going to be whistled six, seven. But if you're going to nudge and push, then you leave yourself open to a lot of problems. Yeah, I think um, I'm I'm of the opinion that when when we get up to the four and five foul count, um, I think that certainly recently that players and coaches are going to look for it a little bit too much, which is also creating probably a version of the game that I don't personally like to see. Uh, I suppose it's for everybody else to decide whether they do. But you know, I mean, I've I've spoke to you previously, and I've I've spoke to other people that I think maybe not a Maybe not a serious issue, but I think there's a, and I'll, I'm talking probably partly about these two sat facing me as well, that there's a bit of an issue within England that a lot of players now are starting to, there's a little bit too much gamesmanship in trying to win that fifth and sixth foul and not even the fifth and sixth, sometimes the first and second. And, you know, I see a lot of players now going down under almost no contact whatsoever and making the game really difficult for referees. And actually, if we're talking about how we grow this sport as a community, which includes the referees, uh, whether we like, like it or not, um, we, we have to, we have to play the game the right way. Uh, and again, that might be just me. Um, you know, I know my opinions on this sport don't align with everybody else's. And I know these two next to me like to throw themselves around a little bit and, and ask for a lot of sort of fouls that are a little bit soft, um, despite them both shaking their heads. But I feel like we have a as, a, as a group, we have to get better at that to give the referees the opportunity to manage the game better rather than us going, well, they've got to four fouls now. We're just going to go and throw ourselves around for the next 10 minutes. Um, and that's at the moment, that's probably a little gripe I've got within the game in that we're making your life difficult by trying to cheat a little bit. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Because you, you're trying to bend the rules to suit your predicament at that moment in time, which is fine. And that's when you're right to do. It's up to the referee then to make a decision. So you, you then can't necessarily chuck it all back at the referee to say they're wrong and they're not doing this and they're not doing that. Because, you know, if you play the game in the right manner, all right, then that you you should get kind of an I suppose a fair play at the, at the decisions. But if you're going to try to throw yourself on the floor, referee's angle might be that he might see it or they might see it um, as contact. But if they've got a good angle, then they see it's simulation, etc. So then, and I know that just rattles players because yeah, they they're, they're playing for the fifth and the sixth foul. Yeah, we've all got to do our job, haven't we? We've all got to give a, a right product for people to invest some time into and, and, and want to be part of. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, firstly, I'm going to uh, announce that I actually retired from diving uh, last season when I, when Liam tackled me well and I tried to get him sent off. So after that, I'm not diving again. So that's on record. I know uh, me and Liam are now on the same team, so that actually removes the need for either of us to do any sort of simulation because it's only ever me against him, really. Um, uh, no, I've I've seen Liam dive a lot more than most, so yeah. No, 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 no. So first of all, like I say, me and Ward used to go out quite a lot, especially when it was how messy it And uh, I've got countless videos of Wardy going down very softly, trying trying to get me carded, whatever. But like, like when you kick defense, me. In my defence, I'm smaller than most, so obviously, yeah, I'm going to go down easier than, than obviously Cookie, for example. But I don't think that's me cheating or trying to 
to buy something. That's just, I say I'm just smaller, so obviously people can push me over. No, I think that's a fair point. And actually, it probably leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Mark, is that I feel, and I know, again, I've had conversations with various different referees that I feel like as a as an individual in this sport, whether it be uh, previous playing history, whether it be uh, preconception of reputation, or whether it would just be purely the fact that I'm a bit bigger and fatter than most, that I get given a lot of fouls against me that... I wouldn't get for me purely because I'm bigger than the person I'm playing against or, wi- or, or opposed. Um, not because I'm necessarily committing a foul, but just because the reality of my physique is bigger than Liam. So when Liam comes near me, in general, he loses out on that battle. Whether I'm doing something wrong or not appears sometimes to be irrelevant. And I got a yellow card for a similar situation this year where basically me and Neil Morgan have run into each other We've both basically gone to pull out of the tackle, but Morgs is four stone lighter than me. He's fallen over. He's then hit his head on the floor, which has kind of left him down. I've eventually got yellow carded and I'm like, well, hold on a minute. We've both done exactly the same thing. We've both pulled out, but because my physical attributes just make it worse for Morgs, I'm the one who gets booked. Whereas if I'd have gone down, would it have been the other way round? And I don't think it would have been. But that's just, again, that's just me asking the question of, you know, in terms of personnel and physicality, it feels sometimes like it plays a bit too much of a part. Yeah, look, again, those decisions are subjective, aren't they? Because they're from the two players' perception, their angle that they're at, where, where, where that referee is. I think we have to judge every contact equally, naturally, as a referee, and to see who is over the line and who is un- who is under the line. And again, referee will see will naturally see that differently in some different cases. I think it's important that the referees understand players' um, personalities, their their weight, their size, the way they play. They need to do all that kind of history because then that does help you with your ma- your, your match control. Um, but it's not presetting ideas that you're going to go and clatter somebody else in every, in every challenge you got. You mean, you've got some massive pivots in, in the top division, haven't we, that like to hold, like to lean on and, and quite physical. And there'll always be a complaint that if somebody like Liam went up against someone like Pav at Derby, for example, that like Liam's always going to get the foul. Well, you know, we've got to find that line in terms of what that, what where it becomes over physical from the taller, the more physical player. So it, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult to put it into context because, like, when you're looking at a decision, I'm I'm looking at two players battling for a ball. Is it fair? Is it not? That that's that's all I'm looking at at that, at that moment in time. To be to be honest. So yeah, I really struggle with this one. If I'm honest, so. He said, you know, let's bring Vitor, who's one of the Bloomsbury pivots. He's six foot seven, built like a smeg fridge, so strong, but he does like to throw himself to the ground. And we've spoken to him about that. So he's trying to make your life difficult. We go to Champions League and he is super physical. And the Batman against him is super physical as well. And they let it go. Whereas coming domestically, he's really struggled because as soon as he is any sort of physical, he gets it given against him. But at the same time, he's he's getting it in the back. But then he'll also go down because he, that's how he's playing. I, for me, that's one of the hardest transitions is Champions League, you have to be like working like that. And the teams against you at that level are much better at diving. And so they're going down all the time. Um, 
but then transition it to domestic, you know, he got kind of two hands in the back from the back man. And he, that, that's been allowed to happen in that game. And I think that's really hard for me. And it, it stops me from staying calm in games because, like you said, I just, I just want consistency of decision. So if it's, if it's different, Liam getting two hands in the back to Vitor getting two hands in the back, for me, I, I disagree with that. I think both of those are fouls. No, technically in that description, it's the same, isn't it? Two hands in the back to any player or pushing is, is, is the same. And that's the context of what we've got to work with, pushing, tripping, etc. I think it's very difficult that for us to sit there and go, right, what happens in Champions League is not happening in our National League. I think, I think that's something that is very difficult for the majority to to accept and, and 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 understand, we have to get some uniformity of what happens in England. This exactly the same as the Spanish referees and the Spanish Association will cater what their their league look like, and in Italy and and Ukraine and wherever else is the, is the same. Um, and we should be absolutely no different. There should be an English style of the of the game. Now, if that is a more physical presence. Um, within our national structure, then then fine. But we've got to collectively, we've got to find that balance. We've got to get your opinions of what contact you like to see and and are not happy to to have, so that we can then come back to our referees to go. Actually, we're we're looking at that. See, so, sorry, much to interject. But you said figuring out that at a game level, are you saying we should actually have a national idea of that, and then it's a kind of fine tuning at a game by game level? One percent of your players. And well, maybe one percent of referees get the opportunity to taste Champions League, World Cup qualifiers, etc. All right, so that preparation is entirely different. It's entirely different because of the level of the team. So even your champion and your experience, because you play Champions League, you play Euro, World Cup qualifiers. Even within those sections, they're very different. The experience you receive in Champions League is a very different futsal product to what you see when you go into your international uh, teams and the expectations and the way it's refereed. But it's, it's, yeah, it's separate. So that would also filter down to be that we should have an acceptance of what is English futsal and what is allowed to be played here. So we will always try to educate a futsal way, naturally, in terms of the own physicality and trying to get rid of the football element to it to a certain degree. But then we need the balance because we understand that players and our referees come from, from that background. So that is then our path. So that's how we've got to look at it. Not, well, I see that in Spain or I watched Frau and whoever have a right ding-dong in Champions League semi-final. And then we can't do that on tier one. It's like, well, actually, that's Champions League semi-final and the referee and the game is going to take more risks at that point because they can do because there's a higher class of player and a higher class of referee officiating those games with that experience, whereas we haven't got that here. They haven't got that in Denmark or in some of the other countries. So what is their style and how are we going to then referee that style of play? I understand what you're saying. I think my challenge would be, you know, you could show an example of five tackles that you're sort of, okay, these are permissible. And then where the line is, as an example. And that introduces some sort of consistency throughout the league. Whereas at the minute, my, my honest perception is we get to a game and suddenly today, every little foul is given. Or suddenly today I'm getting kicked and we're okay with that. 
and it's it's very hard for me to work that out. And like I said earlier, as a player, you don't think that's a thing, but all players need to be aware that actually you need to go with how the ref's calling it today. Like, like we've all said, stop appealing for everything because today just isn't that day. You know, you've got to go firmer. Yeah, and, but again, I'll go back to an early point where if, if we look at, even in football, and we look at across the Premier League, the referees in the Premier League will have different refereeing styles. You'll know that you'll be able to get, a, I say get away, but you know you'll be able to play freely with one ref, but then you won't be able to play freely with another. That, that's, again, comes down to that, that personality side of things. So it's no different with, with our futsal referees. What we what we need to try to do and what, what we do do is that the on our CPD sessions we do highlight that actually these are where the, this is where it becomes over physical this is where it becomes yellow this is where it becomes reckless and and, and excessive force um, and these are the kind of kind of careless tackles and the ones that we're kind of happy to play. So they we do educate them in a way that we want to see them deliver on a match day. But equally, just the same, Cookie, you're the coach at the moment. How many times in the changing room have you told your players to go and do something and then they go on the pitch and they do some, not something completely different, but not necessarily act out your instructions? Our referees are the, our referees are the same because once, they, once we've released them from our CPD hub, then they're on the pitch and their own their own identity. They've got to find their own way, haven't they? I'm just I'm by picture Mark's halftime team talk with Nursey. <laughs> Pete, you make another making the wrong decisions. Let it flow too much. Get, get cards out. Yeah, in fairness, I'm still waiting for fifty percent of my squad to do anything that I've asked, so I can definitely uh, relate to that. Um, just to bring it back to sort of that level, like I I think that where I believe. I would like the sport to be in terms of acceptance of physicality and and where we want that uh, physical dominance to occur in terms of being able to to relate it to players transferring up the levels throughout their career. Um, I think that the vertical physicality, so when you're stood up, when you're in that physical battle, you're both on two feet. I think that physicality, we have to uh, probably allow a little bit more. I think the the horizontal um, physicality in terms of slide tackling, going off the floor and, and that kind of thing, I think that's the bit we want to take out because that's a football trait and that doesn't translate up the levels into playing at international level. I I tackle when I go to the ground in a very particular way because of my history, um, not only at international level, but also at domestic level in that I know that I want to slide to not really make contact with the player. I'm only, only really looking to stop the attack and to stop the progression of the play, not necessarily make contact with the player. Now there are going to be the odd time where that doesn't happen. Um, but I, I try and slide tackle or when I, when I'm going to the ground, I try and do it in a certain way based on my experience. And I think we, as ref, as as a group, we probably need to let the the horizontal stuff, where we're a bit more vertical, and you're just using your natural attributes outside of pushing and pulling, which is obviously a foul. I think that's where personally I'd like to see the game be allowed to flow a little bit more, so that we can get more players and probably referees to a level of understanding. Well, okay, we want to set it, we want to set a bar as to what it looks like for England and within the NFS, but also how can we prepare? everybody who's involved in those situations to maybe make the step up where that physicality is allowed a little bit more, but the slide tackling and the other side of it is, well, can we, can we educate everybody on what a good and bad slide tackle is players as well as officials? Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree if, if I want to ask, because you want to see the game flow. 
where I'm going to penalise is when the foul starts to make it or the contact starts to make an impact on the play. You know, if, if we can allow some holding or, you know, just a little bit of contact that way, then let's let the get let the game flow. If we've got a pivot backing in and the, and the and the defenders pushing pushing in, we've got to get the balance in terms of as long as if we're doing something to to support it. So it, in terms of some preemptive actions, then we're helping the game, and then the players can't uh, complain once we whistle the foul left or right. So we've got to be doing something. I think we can we can allow a little bit more physicality. I agree with the slide tackles though. That absolutely, the tackling on the floor is is generally extremely dangerous from what what we've seen. But we're again, I'm talking NFS. We've seen clips from NFL and lower down where the physicality of the game is wild, absolutely wild, and making it really difficult for for the referees to to have control of the game because the players haven't got control of themselves. So where do you pitch that level? But yeah. Yeah. That's a great rhetorical question. I think to end it, because it is, it is hard to answer. I don't think there is an answer, um, but something that we'll learn over time. So, so at that point, we're just going to take a short break and we'll come back with some more talking about refereeing. Welcome back. Hopefully you're still with us and you haven't been sent off. Um, we have got a few more questions that we'd like to cover with Mark and make the most of his highly valuable time. Um, the first one we've got, and again, really passionate about seeing growth in all levels of the game, um, is around how we can get more women involved in the refereeing side of things, Mark. Um are you able to talk about kind of your views on, on how that's progressing right now and, and what we could do more in the future? Yeah, no, absolutely. It can be open and honest where, where we're at with that. I think uh, we have many challenges with the women's game, uh, just as the playing does in terms of recruitment. The challenge we have with refereeing at the moment is that uh, female refereeing is, is flying towards women's Super League. So everything is focused about um, developing female referees in football. Now, I know people will have a view and opinion of that, but whilst that game is booming and they want the female game to be refereed by females, we're always going to play second fiddle. Absolutely. Um, So we've got to challenge that in some capacity because they will be... um, some of them on that pathway that have the time that can twin track and do a bit of futsal refereeing because women's game is on a Saturday and the women's super league and championship, et cetera, will play on a Sunday. Um, so we can hit into that um, market. We just need, again, it's the same with trying to recruit a level three and level four football referee. We need to make sure the product and the environment in which they're coming into um, is of the best level. I think we have a unique opportunity because it's on TV, it's streamed, you know, some of them are central venues so we can have mentors and, and coach supports and stuff in. So there is there is that to, to have a look at. Um, but I also think you have to look where the game is. So, and it's probably a bit like the referees as well, uh, the, the male referees is that we're still waiting for a generation to come through playing, then to make a decision whether they're going to coach or then give back into the game or or get injured or drop out the game from playing to then choose a different route into into that pathway. So um, you think, I don't know, Women's Super League has been three years, four years max. 
So you're still on a very early journey with those with those players, and to get them to come across is is quite a tough to, uh, tough um, travel. But undoubtedly, that needs to be a focus because we need positive role models to get them in the game. We've only got two on the league at the moment. Do you think seeing the progression of the national teams is going to help that as well? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and also a women's FIFA list. If we have a women's FIFA list. It's a whole different question that, that I need to ask to the FA to say, actually, there is now a pathway for this. Whereas at the moment, there's one pathway. It's just a futsal referee. So we are prepared for the criteria to have for, for women's FIFA list. So we have everything behind the scenes set, ready to go. Um, so that will naturally, that, that naturally help us. It helps us with having a FIFA badge available for, for, our, for our men. So... Is is there if say you could get onto that FIFA list? Is that potentially where you're in the realms of having a full time job doing that, or would someone still need to have a kind of regular job and do that on the side? It's a hobby. This is this is a hobby, and I think sometimes I'm or people are confused about what I do and what I sit, but I'm not full time in futsal at all. So this is my hobby, the work that I do with the referees, the training, the education, dealing with the day-to-day management of them is voluntary voluntary hours. I get some expenses back in from, from the FA, but it's not my full-time job. Although I work now at the FA as a national referee manager, but I'm not covering futsal, it's still on the side. Whether that changes in the future, I don't know. But as a referee, it, it'll always for the foreseeable future, be a hobby. And that's also a challenge when when the women's game is probably going to go professional in the next two or three years with their referees. Well, again, money talks, doesn't it? And drags it into another another, another sphere. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think what, what we'd all like is just loads, loads of great referees. Doesn't matter, male, female, whatever, but you want everyone to have that equal opportunity, right? So I don't know how we can entice more people in if it is that battle, right? Because we don't, we don't have the money in the game. No, the important thing is, it is equal opportunity. So no question what anybody says, I know the, the program that we have has equal access. So we will, we will support the referee on their entry. We will support them through the pathway. No different, male or female. Um, and we naturally know that we need to have more role models. So there's probably more support for the female referees to come through and make a career of it because we want to get that, get them to a higher place. So, um, yeah, it's, it's having those entry points. If you don't have the entry points, then you've got a problem. Whereas I think we are fairly well equipped to have those entry points and that support package. So, yeah, and, and that makes sense. And, and in terms of currently what the landscape looks like with the amount of female referees that we've got in the game, what, what does that look like right now? So we have two that operate on the NFS within within, within that pathway. And we have another that operates uh, in books and, and NFL and is only just starting her journey through. Um, and then trainee referees that have come through the, the, the courses, um, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. So out of, we have 140 or so, probably just less, Ian will tell us, that are active referees of which there'll be three females in there. And then outside of that in County world, there's probably another 20, 30 that are, have good done the qualification and that, then that we know are doing something. We've just got to find them. They've just got to 
find their way into the national system, which may take some time just knowing the demographic of where they sit. I think that feeds into what we um what we spoke about on episode on the last episode with Catherine as well, in that, you know, I think there's there's doors to be opened there for it to become more of an equal game in the grand scheme of things uh, out there in the sort of the public eye. Uh, I just think we, we need to try and encourage um, people and women to come and, and knock on the door and ask the question. Um, because again, as, as, as a male in the sport, I want to champion everybody within the sport, whether that be like we've said, young, old, male, female, it's just that we, I don't know sometimes where to go in order to try and bring people in. I struggle to bring men into the sport. So how I'm then going to, I'm going to struggle even more to try and bring women into this sport. Um, so hopefully over the sort of course of time, because I do still believe we're in our infancy and I'll probably say that for the next 10 years, maybe even longer um, as a sport. So hopefully over the next you know period of time, however long that may be, we do start to see that sort of uh, level out a little bit. Um, I wanted to um, ask you a question, um, probably slightly differently, just in terms of uh, communication between referees and players and whether you can offer advice to to referees and, and players listening as to what you think the best form of communication is. Because I see, and I've been involved in a lot of shouting exchanges, but I've, I've more recently probably been involved in a lot more of quieter more calmer conversations with referees and personally i'll take a slightly poorer referee if their communication skills are higher so if they're willing to engage with me it doesn't have to be during the game but at halftime or after the after the event i i will take that over somebody who is slightly better but won't converse with me at all yeah again it comes down to personalities i think one thing we 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 preach massively is communi- communication, communication with the players before, during and after, but it's appropriate communication, isn't it, at that time. If someone is going to shout at you, the likelihood is you might get shouted back out because you're already putting them on a on, on, on the back foot, aren't you? Put, already putting them in an aggressive manner. Um, I think that we should have, I'd like to think that all of our referees have kind of an open door policy at half time off the court, not on the court, because we, we clearly don't want to see that on the, on the screens, where we can talk and say, look, we didn't think it was a penalty because of X, Y, and Z. And naturally, you're probably not going to agree because that's that sport. But the, the opportunity is there available and we should be able to converse. I think on the pitch, um, I'm not one to get into a big conversation with somebody because I don't feel like I need to have a conversation with someone. If I've given a foul, I've given a foul. I'm not going to, don't need to go into an open explanation in terms of what that foul is. Um, get the ball down and let's play. Um, the, com- the communication during the game about hands down, be careful, whatever. I think that is positive action and positive influence on the game. Um, I know some coaches don't want you to talk to players like in that manner, but, Thing. If we can preempt something and just get the player to think, okay, the referee is here, they're watching, you might change your style a little bit. So absolutely communicate. Communication is key in any way, in, in any form of life. And refereeing and trying to uh, relay your message is, is really important. But we need to have that boundary of going, right, okay, I've told you that it's a free kick because of the slide tackle or whatever. Now we've got to go on. Not oh, well, I did this and then I've tried to do this and I tried to do that. I don't really care at that point. I've given a free kick. I'm not going to change my mind. Off you go. 
So, you know, yeah, it's that balance in terms of making sure that it's not become descent towards the match official. Do, do you, do you say that to teams before the game? I know, I know when I was younger, I used to get a chat from some refs, but is that worth reiterating <laughs> if that's how, if that would make it everyone's lives clearer? I think, yes, why not? But we're, we're missing certain elements of the, of the experience, in my, in my opinion. So we arrive in the hall, okay? Generally never greeted, either way, generally. Uh, say hi? Straight into the, <laughs> say, maybe say hi, but <laughs> nothing extra. The team sheets are just left on the table, so we go out, we warm up, and the team sheets are just there. Like you've been in the football world, and you will know that the football world that your rival, you're greeted, you're guided. The team sheets come to you, or there's a meeting point where team sheets are exchanged. We don't have that. We just have, and we're lucky if we get a team sheet two minutes before kickoff. So they're just plunked there. There's no communication. So the referee has no natural moment in time to say to the coaches. I know it's either first versus second or there was a red card, there was mass confrontation between you last week, please be careful this week, et cetera, et cetera. Then they can relay those messages. We don't have that moment. And the only moment we have is at kickoff. And I'm not being funny. Who wants to listen to the referee go, right, today I'm going to do X, Y, and Z at kickoff when all you want to do is know whether it's blue or green and whether I've got the ball or not. It's that it's that We need to create those moments to be able to share to have those exchanges to increase better communication across the board. I think that's something to take away for, for everybody listening then. I mean, and I, I personally try and always um, meet the referees whenever we're sort of having a home game or even an away game. But yeah, you're probably right in that we don't then get the, get an opportunity to have both coaches um, with the team sheets and say, you know, not necessarily talk through the team sheets, but have that little bit of a, a communication at the start of a game. So personally, that's something I'll probably take away and try and implement. So, uh, and again, I suppose that's part of the reason why we want to do these kind of things. And the reason we're putting this kind of content out there is so that incrementally over time, we can start to improve all these little bits that just take us up a level, take us up a level, take us up a level. Um, and the game gets to where I, we all want it to be. You know, it's a small bit. I know it's, it'll be, it sounds really petty, I suppose for some people, I'm sure, but like actually, you have the captain, or if captains or the secretary, manager, whatever, comes and presents you the team sheets, you can check the team sheets for one, see who's a physio, because we have had situations where there's no physio listed and who does the treatment and all that kind of stuff, which is ridiculous. Then we don't know maybe who the captain is. Then we don't know if you fly goal, if you've got a spare goalkeeper shirt or you fly goalkeeper shirt. They're really small details, but if we start a game and your goalkeeper goes down injured and they've got to leave and you've got no shirt, then it's a conflict straight away. We can stop most of these conflicts of differences of opinions by a simple exchange, simple part of the process pre-match, which then might bring us all together a little bit more rather than separate identities. Where should that sort of be resolved then? Isn't there like a clubs and referees all get together start of the season? Yeah, we did it with the NFS this year. I think I think it's standard to come from the league. The, the, well, it's a directive from the league and the clubs have to do it on a match day. Like, I appreciate that some clubs are run by one person and they're doing everything, but there must be a moment where they, and in that timeline where that stops and this happens, because this is equally as important as it is getting your warm-up set up 
for, for example. Like your senior players can set all that kind of stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Because what you said there about you can't get a moment, for me that is something I really, really want is to have you tell the players, look, just don't even shout at me today. I'll, I'll just book you. Or if you're going to talk to me, just talk to me. Or I'm not even interested. Just to know where we're at because for us, I say at every game, you don't talk to the refs, I'll talk to the ref. Like, would you know that, have we changed in your perception in the last sort of three years? Because we've tried to do that and I, I don't know if we actually have. I don't think you'll ever will because players are emotional. You know, we're all emotional. So we, we display it in different, in different ways. I think it's how we uh, manage it on a match, but also it's on a match by match basis. I can't turn around to, whenever my next game is, turn around and go, right, you know what, this week, I don't want anybody talking to me. Like, and then the week after, oh, everybody can say whatever they want. You know, they've got to get that balance of going right. Mark Burkett, referee, is this like this is you know what you're going to get. Right? Yes, you can talk to him to this point, but then after that, there's no point in getting into a convoluted debate with him because yeah. it's not worth it. And but especially if he's not game, managed to get the Forest Liverpool tickets, just <laughs> yeah, nothing. Exactly. I can probably add a bit of context to your conversation, Wardy, in that. And it goes back to what Mark was saying about one person running it all. Now, it's not necessarily one person for anybody, for any club. But we we talk about the, the issues this game, our game has. And one of them is cost of facilities. And we are all renting our facility. We are all paying money to be in our facility for a set period of time. So I know the, uh, the majority of teams have 20 past 11, 10 12 kickoffs because 20 minutes is the minimum amount of time that we're allowed to give a warm-up but that allows us to only hire the, the venue for two hours unless it's a cup game uh, because mark mark and the referees have a directive to try and make each half last between 30 and 35 minutes is it yeah well uh, 30 minutes is a good push 35 yeah. 40 is probably uh, probably a more reasonable balance yeah so so with the 10 minute half time that allows you to do warm up full game and be out within that two hours but actually what it does is it takes away from the opportunity for potentially all these little things we've just been talking around to happen because it's very much a case of well if we go over our booking it might cost us another 50 quid um and we're going to get five to 10 minutes of that. So that's again, me as a player and you, you as a player, we want those things to happen. But me as somebody who is having to, to fund all the facilities for, to make this, make this happen, that becomes a little bit of a push. And I know the NFS have got directives for uh, match sheets to be in by a certain time before. And previously and on central venue days or previously on central venue days it was okay referees and captains come together and have a conversation about what the game's going to look like but again when the chaos of the the event and the the actual match day is there and there's so much going on and so much to organize getting goals out setting up putting benches out sorting the, the pitch out and the the actual spectacle those kind of things start to fall down the wayside and it might be that maybe we all have to try and bring and align some things that happen so that we can make it a little bit more positive in terms of the environment before we get into the chaos. Yeah, maybe you you have moments because the referees arrive one hour before kickoff. So then if you're not getting onto court for another 20, 30 minutes or even longer, there's that period of time there that everybody can utilise because it'll be a lot of standing around, having a chat, checking the pitch, etc. Whereas actually, if we had team sheets, let's say 60 minutes, or just less, 50 minutes before kickoff, you've got that moment, haven't you? And then everybody can go back into their own world, prepare properly and come back out. It's just where we fit it. At the moment, it's not fitted anywhere. We've just got to be clever with, with, what, with what we've got. 
Interesting. Liam, did you want to ask a couple of questions? Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Mine are two part. I'm probably not as serious as the rest of them. Uh, first, so when you go into any game, do you, the individuals in a team, to say, like, okay, I'm refing Wardy today, I need to ref him this kind of way uh, to just try and manage him? Or, like, is that just you personally, or did you, as like a group, like with the referees, you say, like, uh, I don't know. Bolton, got to watch out for Cookie because he likes to throw himself about, starts moaning, he gets sent off all the time. Um, yeah, well, that's that. Previously. That's, the, previously. <laughs> that's the first part of the question. And the second part is when you go to ref internationally, um, obviously, you don't, you don't speak the language that you're refing. So, are you told, like, about potential cusses in other languages? Do you look out for that? So, yeah, I answer both, obviously. The, the first question... For me, is very is is very simple. Again, if I put it back into your world, you will you you will watch the players. You will understand a player's behaviours, the way they receive the ball, etc. So that's already profiled. Your coaches will profile those players. Referees do the have to do the same. So we have to know if we're coming up with a physical player that holds, pushes, pulls, loses their heads very quickly. Because we have to know how to manage that individual. So it would be daft of us not to have those in our in, in our locker. But come the match day, you know, if they display something completely different, then brilliant. In, because we can allow them to play or do whatever they whatever they like to do. But as soon as they start displaying their their attributes, if we put it that way, then we have to support that process and referee that that accordingly. Um and also that'll give us prep to know what kind of game we've got. If we've got three players that are really physical and then we've got two, uh, another team that's got two or three players that are really light, for example, we know exactly what's going to happen or we can start to think what's going to happen. If we know that we've got a verbal coach um, and an emotional captain, we, we know how to manage them. There's all, we know all the players in the league that uh, will, will start to play once they receive a yellow card, right? There's just they're just out there. Parksy was one great example. Like forever, Calvin Dixon, you know, I'll give, give, give Calvin a shout out. He'll be doing the editing later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Calvin's yeah. definitely one of those players. <laughs> only yeah. only will start to play properly once they give them the yellow card. So you don't need to go next time. I'm going to caution you. You just go across and caution you, and then let them play. But that was just how they worked, and that's managing the game. The the, the game. So we have to do that. Um, yeah, because we would be daft not to. The second, the second question, I think, is a really interesting question, and this will vary from referee to referee from expert because of their experience. For me, I'm lucky or unlucky, I suppose, uh, that I probably know quite a lot of cuss words in a lot of different languages <laughs> because a lot of players come from Portugal, Brazil, Spain, yeah, right, Italy, yeah. etc. So the volume of players that I come across on a regular basis tend to be of a sim of a similar national nationality or a shared language. So it's very quick to be able to recognise. But also in moments of uh frustration, anger, it's very clear that of yeah, a yeah. directive it, that they're telling you to do whatever to whoever or to myself. So because of their expression they're going. So you can add add it up. And you have to add it up in some situations, but yeah, you, it's, we do know certain things. So that's, yeah, fantastic. So I know not to try and use my uh, 
of the language is just just, just to um, just to <laughs> add a little bit on that one there mark in terms of sort of the the expletives as a referee and, and this is genuinely to try and educate me and probably educate my players anyway in that if if somebody is has lost a head and they are having a little bit of an outburst but it isn't directed at anybody it could be internal frustration but they're 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 voicing it externally is that is that an issue or does it have to be directed at somebody or to um against somebody else i think it's the context of the game the situation and what's happening around what's happening at that moment in time because your challenge is if you're in a like not hardly any spectators or even some spectators it's very quiet and someone f's and jeffs over a decision is that the image that we want to portray if you're in an arena of 15,000 people with a lot of noise and someone F's and Jeff's in frustration, who hears that F's and Jeff's? Probably nobody, all right? unless it's unless it's visible with arms and et cetera. So probably nothing. If they're sending it upwards and not directed to anybody. So there's, a, that, there's that context. As soon as it is directed at a player, at a referee, the referee's got to do something absolutely got to do something and intervene so there's a couple it's another grey area to a certain point because referees got some balance of what they do in a in a general situation but we've got to be thinking about the image that we're portraying in, in, in the game and you know you're streaming games it's going on YouTube we don't want to be hearing players giving volleys even to themselves in frustration it might be managed differently do we need a card don't know because of the situation or if it does need a card then issue the card well that leads us on to uh, blue cards <laughs> fan of them for futsal do you think do you think they would play benefit in our sport or you're not you sure no um, in football it, need, it, it needs whether it needs it at a top level I don't know it absolutely needs it at a grassroots level because the abuse and the grief young referees get or referees just coming through the system get, I think it would stem some of that. And there's evidence to say, clear evidence to say that it would do. The sim bins have been in place anyway, but now it just makes it very clear that it's blue card in your sim bin. In futsal, do we need a sim bin? If the referee's clever, all right, by time you've got four seconds in which to restart the game. If the referee's clever, we can get the clock started. We can get the count started really quickly. It nails all, de- all descent or they use the cards like yellow and red and we've already got a simbin of sorts obviously through the red card exclusion mm. and the two minute penalty so you know there's a natural uh, natural resource in, in futsal that football doesn't have yeah I just thought I'd ask the question I'd, I'm not I'm not a fan for him from the sport I think it makes too much of an impact I just thought I'd ask the question of somebody who's only just more qualified as a referee than I am <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've got through so much today. Um, we're going to have to probably cut it down from what actually goes out there. But Liam Cookie, any any final questions for Mark or Mark? Any questions for us as players? No, I just I just want to say thank you for coming on and um, and sort of sharing your experiences, but also like I say, hopefully giving out some messages that as a sport we can all follow. No, good work, guys. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks very much for inviting us on, and hopefully we we can educate a bit. Then we've all got to do a little bit on me to grow the game. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. We'll make sure we cut that part out where you talked about how hard it is to to referee Calvin Dixon. I think that was almost an hour and a half you went on for that one. So, um, 
Yeah, just to kind of wrap up some of the bits I've enjoyed, I, I think anyone listening, you know, Mark said really good, uh, really shared where we are with getting women involved in the reference, refereeing side of the game. It's definitely uh, sounding like it's an equal equal opportunity for anyone who wants to get involved. So really do encourage you to get any more women involved in the side of the game, as well as any other referees who are interested in moving into futsal. Um, learning about the referee's experience, I, I had no idea. I'd never really thought about it. it. makes complete sense. That That is probably where we need to improve a lot of what we're doing as as teams and clubs on the, on the outside. And I, I also just really enjoyed the the bits of, that we have, have in common in terms of the, the futsal football parallels, you know, um, having that difference in stepping up, how you get across from football to futsal, how you can use one to help the other. I thought that was really, really insightful as well. So massively appreciated time, Mark. And thank you, everybody, for listening. 